Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Okie Show Show. We're going to get right to it, but before we do, I want to give you guys a few minor notes. We recorded this interview back whenever uh, the show was still working under its working title, American Mystery. It is now called Hell in the Heartland, which is going to be debuting June 2nd at 9 p.m. on HLN. That's on cable. So if you hear us mentioning the name of the show and we say American Mystery, don't worry, you're not having a stroke. <laughs> they just didn't know the name of the show yet. So now let's get right to our conversation with Jax Miller and Sarah Kalin. You have these two parents. They're found in the fire. It's determined soon after that that they were shot in the head with a shotgun. And these two girls who've been missing ever since. So that's pretty much the, the whole of the story. But you have to back up a little bit and look at the sun. Hello and welcome to the podcast that explores the Heartlands Entertainment Industries. I'm Brian. I'm Kelly. And today we are going to be talking about true crime this is the first time that we've talked about true crime on the show and it's going to be great yeah well i'm curious to see how our conversation goes because we talk about true crime off the show a lot all the time and we get a little crazy so sorry now i guess you're gonna see our crazy i don't know <laughs> yeah we're just gonna go down the rabbit hole of mystery <laughs> you'll get to know us really well yes but do, <laughs> what does true crime have to do with oklahoma and filmmaking and all that well i worked with the two guests that are visiting us through skype uh, we're here with Jax Miller and Sarah Kalen. And Jax, where are you again right now? I am in Virginia at the moment. You're in Virginia. And Sarah, where are you at? Uh, well, at the present moment, I'm in suburban Atlanta, but I actually live in Philadelphia. Okay. So we're, <laughs> we're all over the place, brought together by the power of Skype. Yeah. Now sponsor us, Skype. Thanks. That's right. Brought to you by Skype. But we're going to be talking about uh, basically the process of creating this documentary series that's going to be on HLN here pretty soon. It's a show called American Mystery. Heartland. And before we get started, I want you two to kind of give us a little bit of your own background. We're going to start with you, Miss Jax Miller. Who are you and what are your accolades? <laughs> I am Jax Miller. I don't have many accolades, which is kind of why I think this is fun for me. But uh, No, I, I, I'm a writer. I'm an author. Um, I typically write fiction. This is my first nonfiction. Um, I decided to switch gears uh, a couple of years back when I first started this case. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm an author to the core, but of course, I'm I'm also a film and TV buff, and it felt very natural to me that this should be a TV show. So uh, that's where we're at today. That's awesome. And then Sarah, you bring a totally different side to this story of investigating this this cold case. So, what's your background? Uh, my background, background is in law enforcement, primarily. Um, I was a regular old patrol officer, police officer, cop, 5-0, fuzz, you know, um, for about 10 years, and uh, also worked in the detective bureau and worked on uh, sex crimes, and left patrol to pursue my master's work in criminal psychology with a concentration on serial killers and serial sexual predators. Man. Wow. So you got... Quite the background, and like Sarah, you and I, I had I'm so many love. conversations about, oh, just uh, what show is it? Mine Hunter. Oh uh, yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole mm. all day long. So the show is called American Mystery, and let's first kind of paint the picture to the audience of what it is we're talking about. Let's talk about this specific cold case and kind of lay out all the details for us. So what's the story? What's basically what's the show about? 
so pretty much it's a cold case. Um, it's, it starts in the prairies of, of northeastern Oklahoma, uh, right at the foothills of the Ozarks, but very close to, to, the, to the tall grass prairies. And uh, it's a few days after Christmas, 1999. 16-year-old uh, Laura Bible, she decides to sleep over her best friend Ashley's house. Um, so it's her, it's Ashley, and it's Ashley's parents. It's also Ashley's 16th birthday. Um, the next morning, neighbors find the trailer that they live in is on fire. Um, they find one body. It is the mother, Kathy Freeman. And um, at first, it, it, she's the only one they find. And the two girls and the husband have gone missing. Mm. And that's it. <laughs> that's where it all four hours on that. We spent four hours. Yeah, no, and well, you know that's uh, the crazy thing is that it's just it it there's so much more. That's the launch pad, and then you discover right. more and more and more. There's more bodies that show up. Yeah. There's like drugs that show up into the story. There's all sorts of things. And how did you guys how did you come about this story to begin with? You know, I, I think people ask that and they want a, a fancy answer, but there's nothing fancy to it. Uh, it. It was one of them stories. I can't tell you where I first heard of it. it you know, I heard about it many years ago, and it always stuck in the back of my head. Um, I was I was living in Ireland. I was a, a fiction writer, and I wanted to switch gears into nonfiction. You know, I've always had a, a love for the for the genre, and uh, I said to Sarah, I'm like, hey, we should do this one day. And as far as this specific case, I, I, I don't know where I first heard about it, but I, I did something like um, some kind of Google search and I put girls missing fire trailer, Oklahoma. You know, I didn't know any of the details. And it turned out that the very week we were looking into this case, uh, they were doing a search for the girls up in Kansas. And it was just wild because it was a 16 year old case, you know, because I think we came to this case 2015, 2016. Um and to see that it that it was still so active and had so much heat on it after all these years, it says we have to do this one because we were juggling. Well, at least I I don't know about I can't speak for Sarah, but but I was weighing out a few in my head. And I didn't know which ones to do, but it was the sheer veracity of this case that I said we have to do this one right now. Yeah, yeah. Veracity. And Sarah, like, you can hear the basset hound in the background there. They approve. <laughs> they approve of this show. <laughs> How did you guys come together to to work on this together? Do you want me to take that one? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I I had just been like we were we were Facebook friends um, prior to all this, and during the course of Jax's uh, fiction work, she would she had posted once on Facebook about like, hey, are there any cops out there? I have a question um, about something. You know, for I don't even remember what it was. Something for um, Freedom Child for the first novel and I just jumped in I was like yeah I can answer any questions you want and then I just sort of um tried to help her along like any books that she was doing I just kind of became that resource so then she approached me um about this one and as she said at the time she just said you know an unsolved case um and we did both start doing searches and everything but pretty early on she said I really think this is the one um, and she had me watch there was a, a true crime like 20 minute piece on you know one of the discovery or something like that on it and even just with that little exposure i was kind of blown away by how many twists there were and like you said jack just how active it still was all these years later with how much interest there still was in spite of the fact that there was relatively little development um so yeah just i was kind of like i'm i'm in let's let's go so. 
It's so cool. Yeah. That's so freaking cool. <laughs> so let's talk. I, I want to kind of dig into a little bit of the the um, things that y'all. Well, some of the things that have been discovered and some of the things that y'all have since uncovered without going too deep in the rabbit hole, because that's why the show is four hours long. <laughs> that's what you have to wait for, you guys. So we're going to condense it down a little bit. The first being whenever the the interaction with the police and the case itself. Can you guys kind of expand on the kind of tumultuous relationship there? Should I? Okay, I, I think <laughs> you have to know a little bit more about the story first, and, and, and that's the next part of the story, um, mm-hmm. where they find this woman. Naturally, the husband's the suspect. Oh, he's taken the two girls. He's he's holding them hostage somewhere. And the police did very little. And we have plenty of, of supporting evidence to, to prove this. But they were kind of like, well, let him cool off. We'll, we'll start looking for the girls in the morning. So Laura Bible, who was the friend who was sleeping over that night, her family comes to the house 24 hours later to look for clues. And within five minutes of arriving, they find their prime suspect's body. They find Danny Freeman, the husband, um, also in in what's left of the of this burnt down trailer so a lot of people are like how did police miss this they they literally walked down his body for 24 hours so that was the first um (laughs) that was just the first thing now again (laughs) it gets weirder yeah kelly that's the proper reaction (laughs) (laughs) why the cops are so suspected in this in this story is you have to backtrack a little so you have these two parents. They're found in the fire. It's determined soon after that that they were shot in the head with a shotgun. What? And these two girls who've been missing ever since. So that's pretty much the, the whole of the story. But you have to back up a little bit and look at the son. So you have the murdered parents. Their son, who was one of the missing girls' older brother, uh, his name was Shane Freeman. And less than a year before this fire and these murders, uh, he was shot and killed by police. There was a lot of conspiracy. I mean, not just with the family, but throughout the community, there was a lot of conspiracy theory, a lot of cover-ups. And, and even with, with Sarah and, and my investigation and stuff, uh, it was a lot of red flags, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So it, it, since, since the get-go, a lot of people still contend that this was a police-related murder. Uh, it was no secret that the, that the family was filing a wrongful death suit against the county for, for the killing of their 17-year-old son. Um, they believe that they had one year to file this suit, and I think nine days before that window was about to close and and, and that window expires, they're found murdered. So it does lend to a lot of conspiracy theories, uh, and, and not even fanatical ones. I think that these theories are quite reasonable. Uh, that, And also you have the, the father who was killed. He said to, his, to several family members just days before he died, if anything happens to me, look to the Craig County Sheriff's Office. Um, so there's a lot of little things, and, and they added up over the years. But uh, it's it's reasonable why people would think uh, the police could have been in, involved in this. Wow. And okay. And this is a this is a small town, right? Uh, just yeah. to clarify, like this 600 is a, people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, because I grew up in. I mean, Stillwater isn't a huge. It's but it's much bigger than a lot of the tiny towns in, <laughs> yeah. in Oklahoma. So when I want to like get an idea of like everyone knows everything except no one knows what really <laughs> happened what yeah oh. uh, this is so much fun watching kelly hear I'm the story so for the first into time this. this is good i'm so excited this yeah. is the type of stuff that i will stay up all night long 
crocheting and then the next day I just spill it all to my husband and you know he gets it secondhand then I'm like let's watch it again and then I make him watch it too <laughs> well and it's just that I, I feel like there's kind of this uh like podcasts have also kind of brought on a new highlight to true crime yes because like you have the serial series with the the case of Adnan um I can't yeah Sayed. and like Man, and our, I mean, like, it seems like our criminal justice system is, you know, going through a bit of a transitionary period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's just uh, like uh, the, this case, you guys investigating this case and everything is like, what a perfect time for this. But how did you take it? Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was strange because I was living in Ireland at the time and I was in Ireland for 10 years and so much had changed in that 10 years. Like. I go to Ireland and when I come back, I mean, there was tensions with the policing system and, and, the, and the people. And even while we were there, Sarah, our very first trip, that's when the Dallas shooting happened, when the, the guy was targeting police officers. I mean, it was just a very different world from the America I left behind into, um, you know, a lot of this this tension with um, officers and things like this. So, yeah. Well, so, and so. Sarah, I think the fact that you your history with being law enforcement mm-hmm. adds a really unique aspect to y'all investigating this story because you can bring that to the table so what was it like for you as former law enforcement investigating this story and seeing possible corruption within you know the um the sheriff's office there yeah when i first came to it um i mean if you look at any long unsolved case there is almost always going to be some element um, within the community that, that suspects law enforcement is involved. Like, that's just par for the course. The longer a case goes unsolved, the more people there are in the community saying, well, if it takes so long to solve it, the police must be part of it. It has to be cover-up involved. Um, so from the get-go, I kind of thought that that was, was pretty unlikely. Um, and I would say almost for the first year and a half that we were on this, I felt that there was a tremendous amount of um, negligence and even incompetence on the part of investigators at, at multiple levels, multiple agencies, not, not just putting it all on, on one agency or another. Um, but about a year and a half in, we had sort of an onslaught of information where I just completely shifted gears. And I said, I'm sorry, but there was a level of complicity in this, if nothing else. Wow. Um, right. they're just, they're, they're, you arrive at a point when there are too many coincidences. There are, are just too many people associated with each other for it all to be just accidents. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, how did you guys take this from kind of give us the process of taking it from um, basically you, you find the story, you start looking into it, you see all these red flags and it becomes of great interest to the two of you. So at this point, it's still an idea. How do you go from just the idea to now you have basically CNN putting together a camera crew and everything and you find yourselves in Oklahoma? Um, so after we figure this out, I, I really, like, I'm one of those people I just dive right in. I, I called Lorene Bible. She was the very first person I talked to. Um, that's the missing girl's mother, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, so I called Lorene Bible and I was, I, I was a little bit awestruck. Like I felt like I was talking to a celebrity. I've heard about her and it's like, how do I talk to this woman? Again, I don't have law enforcement background. Um, but I do have the gift of the gab. I say I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay at talking to people. What? Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, no, really. And so I, I call Loreen and, you know, she, she's, she's a bit intimidating, even, th- you know, three and a half years later, I still, she, she, I still, I still get scared calling her. Um, 
and, and we decided Don't to go out me. there. So. I think she's mad at me. So, so what happened was, um, you know, I, I said, okay, well, let's do this. And at first it was um, out of pocket. It was like, okay, let's, I'm going to fly out to America. We're going to get there. Uh, we hired a cinematographer out of Brooklyn named Zach. Uh, we just, we didn't know him from a hole in a wall. Just kind of looked him up online. He was fabulous. In fact, a lot of the footage we, we have is from him. Um, and we just went out there. I think it was for like two weeks. Um, we were, we stayed in Baxter Springs. And, and right now, or at that point, this is 2016, we're just getting to know the people. We're meeting family members. We're meeting this and that. Um, I, I know for me, a lot of what I did in between is online stuff, like talking to, to killers and suspects. And again, that's kind of my gift. Is, is, is that gifted a gab and um, you know we, we are dealing with a meth culture and as a former drug addict that's where I can my gifts kind of come in I can speak on their level um, so you know for me it was a lot of online stuff it was and then there was a lot of on the ground stuff like okay well let's go to this meth house let's let's meet this killer in the park you know and this is the stuff I, I've been doing for the past three years and um, I'm a very obsessive person I, I come like a dog with a bone and I just haven't let go yet. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's what it was. So, so we paid out of pocket. We get there. We did it for two weeks, and then you know we we all went back to our respective homes. Um, the arrests happened. Their first arrest in nearly twenty years happened during the course of our investigation. Um, Interesting. We we uncovered a lot while we were there. You know, I I I think there are some fantastic cops there. I think there are some some uh, fantastic investigators there. But for the most part, a lot of people weren't just doing it. They just didn't have time, budget. So we kind of did it ourselves. And I, I think, too, the, the added, the heightened pressure at that point. I mean, there had been a little bit of pressure ramped up with that search that happened right around the time that Jax was, you know, kind of Googling trailer plus fire plus Oklahoma, you know. Um, and then when we rolled in a few months later with a camera crew, and albeit it was, you know, it was just the three of us, it was small, but we were going around, we were knocking on doors, we were interviewing former detectives and stuff. Um, to me, there's no doubt that that got people who had been apathetic to say, maybe we should, you know, spend a little more time on this. Mm. Um, and, when you introduce a camera into the mix, suddenly they're like, oh, gosh, people might see and hear about this. Yeah, and there were yeah. local news stations covering it. Fox 23 especially was, was sort of consistently on it. Right. Um, but it wasn't like this fear, I don't think, of a national exposure of mistakes that had been made. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's still kind of the case today, because at the time I was represented uh, by WME, um, so I had an agent then, and I says, guys, we got to do a video of this. So, so we took Zach's footage, and the footage we took, I, I made a, a deck, pretty much, and I submitted it to my agent, and that's how it got to Stephen David Entertainment, and then, you know, which is our, our producers over to CNN, HLN. Um, so that's pretty much how it happened. Um, and, you know, and, and again, we, we kind of went in the heat of the, all this going on. And, and then we conducted our own searches and we were digging in the dirt for bodies and um, getting the, the <laughs> attention. <laughs> oh, we were, we were. Yeah, no, no, no. I just did a quiet thing because I don't want Charlie Kreider to know that one. <laughs> I, I kind of like to get at this point, you know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, and you know, again, it was it's, it's it's a lot of this stuff where it's not that they don't have the, the 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 tools to do this, but it's just not being done. And 
I've said it before, our presence either made people happy or pissed people off. And it's an area, I mean, of course, you guys probably know this living in Oklahoma, which is very foreign to me. Um, they don't like outsiders. They don't like people nosing around. They, who the hell is this with a camera digging up in some serial killer's <laughs> yeah. basement, Obi? Why so do we you got sound a lot of attention. different? Yeah. <laughs> What's that accent? I don't understand it. <laughs> she sounds like Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dream. What is going on here? <laughs> I don't know why my impression of an Oklahoman being territorial was a guy from Boston. I don't know. Yeah, I don't uh, really know what's going on. What's going on, what's going on here? Who's yeah, these so. outsiders coming into our, fav- our favorite <laughs> Oklahoma town? Yeah, get out of here. So, so, so you guys go from basically, I guess you could call that the sizzle reel, that first round with just the three of you, and then That's- you... The sizzle actually came later after Steve and David had, had pitched it. We had a couple different networks. Um, at one point, it was kind of, I don't know if we're allowed to say the other networks that were kind of vying for it, but um, there was a, there was a little bit of a yeah, and actually Vice, yeah, you know. Um, but after that, once CNN said, yeah, we want to we want to purchase the rights to it, then Steve and David sent us all back down again. Um, with a larger crew, and that's when we shot the sizzle. And then CNN sat on that for about six months before they decided whether or not to greenlight the show. And then we all came down with the great big crew that you were part of. Right. Uh, see, I didn't realize that. I thought I was round two, but I guess I was round three. Mm-hmm. Third time's the charm, though. <laughs> that's what right. they say. Right. Four. Round four, if you include Sarah's trip at the arrest. <gasps> yeah, Ooh, I went oh. down to one be there for the arrest. Producer and a single camera, just the uh, I don't know what, I guess he would be a director, but he was the guy who um, directed the sizzle. He and I, just the two of us went down because when we got word of the arrest, it was very, very short notice. So Steve and David just packed Dominic and me up uh, and couldn't, Jack couldn't get down for that one, sorry. Um, and so they just sent the two of us down literally for 48 hours. We were there, we filmed the, um, the press conference where they announced the arrest of Ronnie Busick and then we, you know, filmed some interviews about with family members about their reactions and then we were back on our way home. So Wow. Wow. So I guess the the moral of the story is that when you're making a documentary series, expect it to take a really long time. Because you guys have been at this for like what, three years? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Over now. Over three years. Yeah. Wow. I had two kids in that amount of time. Dang. That's that's two baby births. Two baby births. That's a long dedication. Yeah, that's right. So uh, let's talk. Let's kind of hone in on the uh, the big chunk of time because we we were together for about a month in what town? Where where were we? We were we were. <laughs> well, it was funny because we it's had our language. cover story. It was such an interesting experience for me because like I've worked on plenty of documentary series, like done my share of like stuff with meth labs and meth addicts and addicts and all that kind of stuff just through Oklahoma and small town Oklahoma. But this was the first time <laughs> that we had ever... with uh, CIA security guards and stuff. Yeah, oh. we had a special forces guy and a former Navy him. SEAL. <laughs> and like we had it. So we had a security detail. Sarah, you couldn't go jogging in the morning without having a security detail. Yeah, my you. security detail had to go running further than he had ever run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love I love the idea of you winding the crap out of a like a. <laughs> What was he, a Green Beret? I don't know, but he could certainly beat the tar out of anybody. Yeah, right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I can run further, but he could end the fight if need be. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can tucker them out, and then he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll end the fight. Yeah, he'll still kill <laughs> <laughs> He'll just 
kill you. He'll just yeah. pull out his gun and shoot yeah, exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a Indiana Jones moment. It's not going to yeah. be funny. Yeah. So we're, we're, we've got this month-long chunk of time that we're really getting the meat of the documentary series. I meet you guys for the first time right before we're about to pile into one of the vans and, and take off to our first interviews with like a former judge or somebody running for judge or whatever. And we have the security detail. We have a cover story as to where we're staying. Why? Kind of explain to the audience why all of the security and, you know, why all of this? Um... I, you know, a, a lot of people, and, and maybe I'm wrong, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think it was more for me because my name was more out there and I was the one who was talking more to, like, the killers and stuff. Like, for example, Charlie Kreider, who was a suspect. Like, I've been having lots of correspondence with him. Um, he was released out of prison uh, after Whoa. being convicted of murder. Um, Whoa. You know, and he knows I'm there. Again, I've pissed a lot of people off. I've, I've had to deal with threats, ones I've taken, taken seriously. Um, threats against my family, things like this. Man. So it's it's not easy, and we are dealing with people who I do believe would, you know, try and hurt me or someone I love. Um, well, the added element, too, of even the hint of a possibility of law enforcement being involved would mean that you're dealing, if that was the case, and that was the, you know, the, the position that the network had to take, then you're potentially dealing with people who are better than just, you know, some mess dealer at getting rid of opposition. Right, right. Not so chaotic as it is organized. Yeah. Thought, like thought well, through. Right. And, and Sarah and I have actually dealt with certain people in law enforcement that we felt threatened by. Oh, um, wow. That, and then when you bring a whole film crew and people notice that you're there, which sure enough <laughs> they do, they're like, oh, well, there's some equipment we can sell. So, so you have to protect that, too. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're dealing That's with meth addicts and stuff, okay. you have to protect yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking sound. dollar sign. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and Brian, anywhere he goes, has so much sound equipment in the back of the car. We're yeah. just like, please don't get robbed. Please don't get robbed. Please, no, no, no. Oh, At this man. point, yeah, I'm walking around like, I don't even I don't even want to say. Don't say. Yeah, I'm because not, people will listen no. and take They'll be it. like, now where do you live? <laughs> yeah. So we, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. Like interviewing, like the process of questioning people that have information is just an interesting art to me. Like we do our softball interviews on this show and it's it's always fascinating. As a sound guy, I get to listen to every kind of conversation on the planet. And I am fascinated by interviews where you're facing somebody that may or may not be lying mm -hmm. and having to work around that. And I'm I'm curious from your perspectives, what's it like dealing with people that you don't know if they're being totally truthful and you don't know what they're going to do with the information that they get from you? Like, how do you handle that? I think that this is where Sarah and I differ. And just for the record, we differ in areas where I think it offers a great balance, you know? So she'll do things very officially, very legal, procedural by the book, you know, because she has that training and that knowledge. And I'm just like the, the wild card over here. So, but I, I think that it works. No, it really works, though, I think, when questioning these people. So we kind of have a tag team thing going on, I feel like. Um, and it's like, all right, Sarah, I need to know if this guy's lying. Use your tricks. If that doesn't work, we'll use my tricks and vice versa. Because it's like sometimes you know you're going to need a wild card with some of these people. It's like you just know. And then some people you know 
this guy's a classic manipulating narcissist. We need Sarah's thing. And like with this guy's like, well, this guy's going to be high, high of his mind. Let's, let's sick jacks on him. <laughs> right. know, so, yeah. so, so we kind of have this balance, but again, I think it, it really works. So I don't have the training and stuff like Sarah does, but that said, I, I feel like I've, I've done pretty well. Um, I let them lie. I don't try. I never try to catch anyone in a lie. I really don't because 99% of my job is building their trust. And if that means letting them believe that I believe their lies, then so be it. Um, I'm not here to solve the case. That's not my job. That's Mark Sarah's job. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, like, 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 I'm here for the story. So tell me your version, even if it's mm -hmm. not true, and I'll, I'm going to roll with it. Mm -hmm. Sarah probably has a very different perspective on this. I think, I mean, just dovetailing on that, I think that what Jack isn't saying about herself is her ability to get people to open up. Now, again, sometimes they might not be telling her the truth, but there are people who, for the last 20 years, have told every reporter, every investigator to, you know, in not quite as nice a language, to go enjoy themselves in another room. Mm. And she gets these people talking for hours on end. And so the information that comes out of that is invaluable. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I definitely have a different attack on on how to question people on certain things once we know certain information and we find, well, this is contradictory, so we want to, and again, I'm the same way. I mean, this, um, I think there's a, mis a misconception about the way that police interviewing should be done. Um, like the notion, people use the word interrogation. It really should never be an interrogation. It should be an interview. And so if it's done well, you, uh, you know, a good police officer won't necessarily tell people I know you're lying either, or at least not, <laughs> at, at, not right out the gate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause you want them to keep giving you information. Um, but yeah, so we definitely, we definitely do have different approaches, but I think that each is, is really useful. And that might be why in some respects we've gotten further with this because we're each able to communicate with different types of people in different ways. There's some Venn diagram, you know, cross section of like, Oh, well this person really was great talking to both of us for different reasons. Um, but there's, you know, there are probably officers who are more comfortable talking to somebody who kind of knows the lingo and this and that and everything. And there are just members of the community. I mean, when we first got there, the very first trip, we were told in no uncertain terms, don't even go near the Freeman property. Glenn Freeman, um, we'll shoot you on sight. Mm -hmm. And of course, the first thing we did was go set up an interview right outside the edge of the property with a, <laughs> right. a different member of the community. Yeah. And here comes Glenn on his four wheeler with a rifle strapped to the front of it. And Jack yeah. goes over, chats with him for about 10 minutes, and then we're rolling up into the trailer to have an interview with him. For wow. The next oh, wow. Now I'm his girlfriend. He, he calls me his girlfriend now. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta Jack. say, there were a Jack. lot of guns on this project. A lot of guns. A lot of oh, just guns even, floating around. A lot of yeah. guns. <laughs> well, it was funny because yeah. like, I love the fact that we had our guys in their armory on our side, yeah. too. Because like, I remember at one point, one of, we, were, we were meeting together in the main building our main like um home base yeah and our security guys their room was downstairs and i was told hey can you bring them up for dinner or whatever and i come down there i'm like hey guys can you uh guns all of the guns <laughs> so many guns <laughs> all all of the guns <laughs> and i was like i'm glad you guys are on our side yeah but then like we had a case like when uh jacks you were in the car with one of the guys that we were interviewing and like he pulled out a gun like there were so many just 
situations where guns just came out of freaking nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever got shot at oh, or anything. Like Oklahoma. we never had any discharge of a firearm, yeah, but but you know, just all of this. Except around. for the original two. Oklahoma open carry, gunshots. y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we've been dealing with that since the very first trip. This is not new to us. Not new, <laughs> yeah, right? Man. What was, uh, do you you guys have any interviewing tips for the, you know, somebody who's wanting to do a true crime investigation? Mm. What, what not to do? Oh, yeah. Yes. We'll improvise later. You You guys give us some, give some tips and then later on, we're going to just improvise what we don't do. Unless you don't have anything. No, I do have some. Okay, Um, you go. You know, I, I, I'm thinking of like recently after three years, I got a man, you know, the shooting officer of (laughs) Shane Freeman. He has never talked to anyone since this thing was investigated 20 years ago. And I just spoke to him for several hours the other day. Wow. And he has never talked to anyone. Whoa. Uh, not even that's his a wife. <laughs> you know? he, didn't give, he literally did not give a statement after the shooting, which I don't even know how they got away with that. But like, wow. that's the level of, of like shutdown that happened. Jeez. And, you know, I I, I think about him and then Glover, who was one of the main suspects in this case, um, who's not entirely off the hook yet either. And I think about it. And again, Sarah probably has a very different approach. But for me, it's all about gaining trust. So for the past three years, I will send memes to Glover. I will make small talk. (laughs) I will listen to his his stories about the catfish ponds. And I just it's about for me. Even if it takes three years, it is building a relationship. It is gaining trust. And that is 99% of what I do is I gain trust. And especially in Oklahoma, at least I'm not sure where you are, but in this region, they're very closed off people. Yeah. They don't like outsiders. They, they, I, I think it lends a little more to the Ozarkian culture than it does, you know, the rest of Oklahoma, um, where you see a lot of that Southern hospitality. You don't really mm-hmm. see that here. Um, and even the people who aren't suspects, you know, I, I mean, even like the normal people uh, will not want to talk to you until you can prove your trust to them. So if you want to interview with someone, don't go in and start asking questions. Where were you on the night of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. right. Get a spotlight it, it, in their eyes. <laughs> you will get the door slammed in your face. And, and, and now I'm not an investor. It took me a few years to figure this out because I didn't ask Sarah. Our first trip, plenty of people closed the doors. In fact, the people, the sources we're finally getting now were people who slammed the doors in our faces a long time ago. Um, so I think it is about building trust. Speak to them on their level. All right. You are not better than that killer or that cop or that victim. You have to be at their level and then they will talk to you. That's what I think. You know, it's interesting. I think like even just listening to you say that um, good law enforcement interview is actually the same thing. It's, it's in a more concentrated form because it's usually like the way you've been doing this, like building a relationship with these people. Um, and then if I'm going to like come in and ask questions about a detailed specific thing or, or series of incidents or something, um, I'm, you know, I'm focused on, on specific details or contradictions and statements and everything, but it's really just a distilled version of the same thing. Treat them with respect show some camaraderie, uh, you know, show that you understand the humanity in them, no matter who they are, whether, like you said, a victim, a suspect, um, or, you know, or just a witness. Um, and, and, you know, just treat them respectfully. You're going to get a lot further, um, than, than coming in and just like you said, you know, like, give me the answers. I want the truth. You know, that's all just such baloney. Right. Mm. So you're saying that taking a batarang and hanging a bad guy from a line in an alleyway and yelling 
Where are the drugs? That's not a good right, idea. Right. Okay. Generally Tempted. not. Generally Tempted. not. Tempted. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're Swear not. To me. <laughs> but yeah, I also think it's about balance too, because like Sarah doesn't go in there and say, "I'm former law enforcement. Tell me what we need to know." Like you know, it's 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 not you know you really have to get on their level. Don't be the cop. And I think I think it's different when you're in an interrogation room at a precinct somewhere or it's sheriff's office somewhere. You know, um, there's an imbalance of power there. But I think doing this rogue, I, I think that that's kind of the beauty of it and why we have gotten so far is because we are on their level in, in some respect. We're not here as authority figures or as law enforcement. We are here for you to tell your story. You are helping us. Right, absolutely. I think too, sometimes we role play a little um, depending on who we're interviewing. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who don't even know that I have a law enforcement background. And so I can ask law enforcement type questions, but not in a way that they necessarily feel that that's what is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't feel uh, like a cop's talking to them. Right. And then there are times when we've talked to cops who we just went in and we're just like, mm-hmm, and we just kind of were like, we're these stem girls and we're just, we want to make a TV <laughs> show. And it's amazing how much they'll inadvertently, um, how much they'll inadvertently give you when they're telling you that you're yeah. too dumb and don't know anything. You know, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it misogyny works. works out for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Well, it does. We've all had this smart women. Yeah. Most that's of not my that. But, um, no, sometimes I think smart women have had to, had to, had to turn the tables and use that to their advantage to, yeah. to, to get through life. There's no doubt about it. So when you have a guy, a, a detective who is, still on the case and for some reason seems to think we're the two biggest idiots on the planet um literally laugh in our faces about a case theory that you know mm, it's funny how much of it turned out to be true all these years later um you know and and then unfortunately once they figure that out they may become angry with you and refuse to ever cooperate with your documentary again right you weren't done speaking in hypothetical here like you know (laughs) Yeah, um, these ladies might be up to something. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it out. They might be better at my job than me. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Right, yeah. But, well, but you know, I, I just want to throw in there, too. The, the biggest investigator on this case is Laura Bible's mother. Kareem yeah. Bible is, she is a one-man department, and she has met cartel in the back roads in the middle of the night. Uh, she, she has a fantastic story where she meets this cartel kingpin and he says to her, how do you know I'm not going to kill you? And she looks at him and says, how do you know I'm not going to kill you? I mean, she's Ooh, this total oh, badass. She awesome. was there before three billboards. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's fantastic. So she's really the biggest investigator yeah. in this case. Wow. Yeah, none of us would be here if she had not worked like tirelessly to keep this story in the in like the, in the spotlight, there's there's zero chance that anybody would even know about this case right now, or that wow. we would be involved in it. Yeah, well, because the truth is that her daughter has never been officially declared dead, right? She there's still she missing. and the friend are still missing. Right, Ashley has been legally declared dead. That was mm. more just a you know like a family estate thing. Oh, okay, um, but Lorene refuses. I mean, because both of Ashley's parents are deceased and everything, obviously. But oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, Lorraine says she will not declare her until she has a place to put her daughter. Wow. Golly, man, wow. alive. Well, man, let's talk about some of the some of the experiences that we had while shooting this. There, there's so many, but like I, the, the things that come to mind are like specifically like Serenity Inn and our time at the Ghost Town. Let's talk a little bit about Serenity Inn. My go-to place. 
<laughs> yeah, our fi- our favorite meth hive. Yeah, I so, that. Do you want it in context and what it has to do with the story? Yeah. Okay. So back in, in, in 2005, at the beginning of 2005, and 04, I think, um, there's this uh, serial killer. Or, you know, there's this man being charged with, with murder down in Alabama. And pretty much he starts singing like a canary. His name is Jeremy Jones. And despite him, you know, and he was later convicted of murder. He's now on death row in Alabama. Um, he was from nearby Miami, Oklahoma, which is, you know, right in, in the epicenter of where this whole story takes place. And on the, the morning of the murders, when, when they're found, he's arrested from this place. Back then it was called the Frontier Inn. Now it's Serenity Inn. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of stuff surrounding that early morning arrest of his. Could it confirm that he could have had something to do with the girls or does it deny it? There's a lot of questions surrounding it. Uh, but for a long time, he was one of the bigger suspects in this story. Um, so that's kind of how the Serenity Inn came to place. And, and you know, it, it's it's not a motel that you would take your kids if you're if you're going to, to Disney World. This is a very, uh, you know, oh, man, prostitution... No. You know, a lot of meth cooking is it's one of those by the hour or by the month only kind of well, places. Well, we even mm. saw somebody cooking in their house, like, while we're... Yeah. Were they, no, they weren't cooking. They were actually just smoking. Oh, wow. Smoking like, they were it, right? lighting up. But, like, half of the... To kind of paint the picture for the listeners of what this place is, it's basically a small trailer park slash apartment complex. It's it, really it, not... It's like an old-school motel, but it's not used. In the way, it's like a you know, like a base motel style with like a few rows of um, yeah. single-story rooms. Yeah. Okay. And like it was just like I've been to, I've been to Kigali, Rwanda, like a third-world country, and it it had such a familiar vibe Ooh, wow. to that because you'd have there were kids walking around. It's dark outside. I mean, like we were out there at like ten o'clock at night. And there were kids in diapers walking around. Wow. Just, you, they hadn't been bathed in God knows how long. It's Mom pitch and black. Dad are, no lights. No lights. Like, people are openly high walking oh. around. Like, the one guy, there was a guy that we talked to. Well, pretty much every person that we talked to seemed to be on something. But, yeah. uh, man. Well, and it was I, just... My, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, my favorite moment there was that first night that we went um, and we had the sheriff's department with us and we went over and there was the, the lady and the two gentlemen sitting outside of one of the units and um, Sheriff Floyd was walking over with us and he said, hey, they're doing a documentary um, about a couple of murders and the lady says, uh, I wasn't here when that baby died. Like, just out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It was like, uh, hey, that's that's valuable information. We're going to yes. go ahead and, and <laughs> I don't know anything about these specific details oh. that you didn't mention to me at all. I wasn't here with that baby dad. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, 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 heartbreaking. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, yeah, it's sad because we're seeing it laughing. It's like, now I also know like, it was actually a baby who passed away <laughs> or yeah. he was or like Just what? Just saying yeah. stuff. Well, and still. I think like we had confirmed that there had been human trafficking that had happened. Oh. In this area, oh, wow. like it was, it's that kind of a spot. Mm. And I've been near those types of places, but I'd never been in interviewing those people places. that live yeah. there. Yeah, or that are there. And um, I will say that, like, sadly, Oklahoma and a lot of the Midwest deals with, you know, we're one of the top human trafficking states in yep. the nation. We're also one of the top meth states yep. in the nation, and they are connected. Yep. And, uh, well, and- 
these interstates that run through that go all over the place. All, so, all the way yeah. up Missouri, Kansas. Get your kicks on Route 66. Yeah. Yeah. Get something. Ma'am. So, like, man, there was the, the that whole experience at Serenity Inn, and then the whole ghost town that I had never even heard of before. What was the name of the place? Pitcher, Oklahoma. Pitcher, Oklahoma. Pitcher, Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm driving. I'm going to go there, Brian. This I'm place telling you, is I'm so, doing this. It's, it's so awesome. cool. Like, okay. it looks like something straight out of True Detective. <laughs> like, ugh. But how does, how does Pitcher come into the story? So... What we learned in light of the recent arrests, you know, Pitcher had a, a, a very large part to do with the story. But remember that most of mine and Sarah's investigation happened prior to these arrests. So um, in the beginning, it always came up. This is a ghost town. It was once like the mecca for, for lead and zinc mining. Um, it was a very hopping place at one time. Um, and then... Yeah, so so now it's a it's, it's a ghost town, and there's these mines, these underground mines, and I mean like underground interstates that you know where eighteen wheelers still sit. They've had oh. thousands of miles or thousands of square miles across the the uh, tri-state area there, and these these mines have caved in and filled with water, so they're hazardous. They're, they're virtually um, inaccessible, and we've always heard that this is a very possible area where the girls' bodies were dumped. Because it, it, it wouldn't be these girls wouldn't be the first bodies recovered out of the pitcher mine shaft if, if they were ever recovered out of there. I mean, they had right. hauled up bodies from from there before. Ooh. And uh, on top of that, many of the of the suspects who came in and out of of this story, several of them, if they didn't come from pitcher, they were definitely um, active in pitcher. Pitcher became you know with the deterioration of this town came this meth epidemic, people started cooking there. They started dumping their labs in these mines, you know, toxic waste. It's called toxic town, you know, colloquially it's, it's, it's toxic town in the most toxic place in America. So it, it was a haven for drugs. Um, always has been probably always will be, uh, you know, people in the area, even though nobody lives there now, they still refer to themselves as chat rats because of the piles of chat. You have these, white superficial mountains of the residual stuff left from the mining. Um, oh. It's creepy. It's a very eerie place. It's a, wow. yeah. I mean, like as soon as we started seeing all the chat piles, whenever we, we moved into picture, it just, it's a haunting place. Ooh, wow. Oh, weird. Like there's like Serenity Inn and picture both had this, like, just like, it felt like the air was just thick. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to... That's the only way I can describe it. It was just like there is a darkness in this area. Oof. Evil. Yeah. Well, and even one guy who used to live in Serenity Inn, even, like, he met us for an interview there, and, like, he very clearly described Serenity Inn as just, like, a very evil, evil place. Oh, wow. The first night we were there, a different resident said the same thing. I was like, that's pretty interesting that two people who have never known each other, never lived there at the same time, used the word evil to describe... Serenity in. Yeah. Whoa. Well, and especially if, like, I don't throw that word around, no. you know, willy-nilly. Like, the, that, that word actually really means something to me, and I can easily oh, describe that place there. at. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, creepy. I oh. had never... Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I had never used that word for a person. I've said a lot of shit about a lot of people, but I have never used that word on a person until the, the man they recently named, Phil Welch, um, as mm. being the, the the prime murder in this, and you know, researching him and stuff, and I believe in my heart of hearts that that is true evil. Yeah. It was truly oh, wow. evil. Yeah. Man, 
Ah, and well, I can't is... think of another truly evil person in all my life. I really can't. Wow. But, um, yeah. Well, this is going to be oh. such an interesting story oh. for, for people to watch. And it's it'll be coming out pretty soon. Do we not have a release date just yet? Just June. All we know is that it's slated for June. Um, okay. But that's all we know so far. Got it. Awesome. And it'll be on HLN, which is on cable. You two are just awesome. awesome. Everything that you do. Thank you, Sarah, for your service. Thank you, Jax, Aww. for your your dedication to the story, and and both of you for your dedication to, you know, just digging into this thing. This is just so. And who knows? Maybe there. Maybe we'll have somewhat of a happy ending. You know, come about all this. So. Do you have anything that you'd like to say just in final remarks of, about the case or just about your experience in Oklahoma? Or, um, You know, it, it's still an active case. It's still going. Uh, I'm still writing a book on this. So that book is coming out in 2020, and there's a lot more information there. You know, we only had so many episodes to work with, but uh, I've been working on the book for three years now by the dawn's early light, and it's being published with uh, Penguin Random House, and uh, with Berkeley Publishing in the U.S. and Harper Collins in the U.K. So keep an oh, eye out for that too. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll be reading it. Ooh. Hells yeah. And Sarah, what, what, what final thoughts do you have on this whole shebang? This whole documentary series. Um, I'm just. I don't know. I'm. It sounds really hokey. I'm just honored to be a part of it. I feel like I got really, really lucky that I answered a Facebook post one day <laughs> and that my life changed so completely because of it. Like eight, nine, however many, 20 years ago was that, Jess? I don't even remember. Yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, um, I'm, this is like a whole new world for me. Um, and I'm just excited to be on board and, and kind of figure it out as I go. Yeah. That's what's awesome. what's the next case? What, what, yeah, that's you, a great I mean, question. You're doing more, right? Yeah. Next case, next case. <laughs> Let's turn it into a serial thing. <laughs> Where does it go from um, here? So for me, at least, I don't know what's there, but for me, I, I don't know about a TV thing, um, but I am strongly leaning, and this is not set in stone. Uh, if I do continue in true crime with another book, which would be, or if if I continue with TV, that will be what my next book is on. I'm actually going to return to that area. I got something else. Right in that area that I'd like to nice. revisit. Uh, we didn't have room to go over it with this uh, with this book or this TV show, but um, it was the baby, isn't it? You're gonna find the baby. <laughs> 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 yeah, not the baby. You want to know when that baby died? Oh, I shouldn't be laughing. I, I, I told you, I am a with a bone. And 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 here's the thing: what Sarah also didn't mention before was that. Again, like, we don't have time to talk about this, but we were able to link almost two dozen cases that um, to police negligence. Oh man! In that yeah. era, the same officers and the same investigators all linked to the all these unsolved. It's a mountain of unsolved oh. homicides in that area. Uh, oh, that's man. a really unfortunate trend that we have been uncovering in the state lately. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> Jackson, Sarah, where can we find you online and look at some of the other things that, or should we even, should we even go there? Plug yourselves. Yeah, yeah plug yourselves. Uh, I, yeah, I just changed my handle, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. At Real Jacks Miller, all one word, so that's at Real Jacks Miller, and that's Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitter. Nice. Uh, I'm really just on the Twitter, um, at Kaylin Sarah. 
So it's um, the spelling on that is C-A-I-L-E-A-N-S-A-R-A-H, all one word, at Kalen Sarah. Or if you just look up Sarah Kalen, it, it comes up. Um, so that's the best place for me as far as like a professional uh, social media. Nice. This has been so much fun. Thank you for lending me your, your Sunday afternoon. Yes, thank you, thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys so much. Okay, okay, show, show. Show. All right, Kelly, what do you think? I mean, it's it sounds super compelling and interesting and something I would really want to stay up like late at night with movie theater popcorn and watch all of. Right. Now, all at once, I'm going to be that person that watches all, I mean, and, unless they're, well, if they release it week by week by week, I'll be, I guess I have to wait. You gotta so wait. wait, do you, I binge it? But then I risk finding out. No, nah, man, when this show comes out, like, it's going to be four episodes total. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but like whenever you're watching true crime documentary, do you just like, do you start doing your own research? Oh, like, of course. It's up to you. Like now I'm yeah. going to solve the crime yeah. before they do. That's the cool thing about true crime is it like it piques your curiosity. You start going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And like you don't have to take the time to go to crime school. Right. No, you can just do you it on your own. You can just be your own expert. <laughs> Vetoing all school. My God. It's a true, true homicide, a double homicide here, looks like. This is definitely a true homicide. Um, um, actually. It's very true. Actually, Let me I check. think it's, um. Yep. No, it's, it's definitely it's, true. It's, That's definitely blood. It's a, it's a triple homicide, actually. But who, who, I'm oh, sorry, ma'am, ma'am, what are you doing Who's Who is there? this? It's a triple homicide. Triple means three. Wait, so you're saying there's a third body? No, I'm saying there's three bullets. Right. One, two, three, triple homicide. So, how do you... Wait, I'm so confused. Who are you and where'd you come from? Uh, I just showed up here because I heard there was a murder. And I just got out of um, school. Like high school. And I walked here. And for some reason, you you settled on this crime scene. Well, I've made myself an expert of it now. Oh my! Oh, you're you're a self-proclaimed expert. Mike, well, yeah. please, by all means, come in. Look at all this evidence. Thank you. So far, to me, it looks like they're dead. Right. Okay. Um, write that down. Three bullets. Mm-hmm. Yes, three bullets. Also, I saw a man, and I know that man. He was running from the house. It was my dad. He did it. So you have a suspect already in mind? Yeah, I saw him do it all. My God. You know what? Here's my investigator detective badge. You've been promoted. Jump to. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd really like to thank this wonderful woman for uh, coming here and honoring us with her presence. Uh, just solving this case quickly. Really letting the town know that we're, we're uh, no longer in the threat of murder. Um, a murderer. How do you know that she's an expert? Oh, well, she's a self-proclaimed expert. That's correct. Yes, self-proclaimed. So you're saying she never went to school? Correct, correct. Yes, she she witnessed the event. She was involved with the event. She then self-explained the event to us. So self-proclaimed expert. So you're saying that anyone could become an expert if they just decide to be one? Moving on to the next question. We thank this woman. It's an honor to have her here. Cut to the uh, Dateline interview with this this amazing crime scene investigator. 
Now, when you decided to become a true crime investigator, what was your inspiration for your the evidence that you fell upon? Well, Bobby just dumped me at school, and I was really mad at him, and I was like, screw you, Bobby, you're such a douche. So then I was, like, running out crying, and I was going to run home and cry at home because I only cry at home. I don't like to cry at school, but Bobby was being so nasty. And I ran home, and I saw my dad um, running from the house, and there was, like, people screaming, and, like, I saw blood. So um, I immediately thought, Dad, and I started yelling at him because he needed to listen to me about Bobby. And he turned and said, I just killed two people, and then he ran away. So I immediately knew at that point that I needed to be the person, the bigger person, and the person that knew that they were an expert in what they just saw happen in front of their face. Remarkable. Thank you. Now, what is, what's the next goal that you have with the incredible crime-solving skills that you've developed over the course of a day? Yeah, um, I'm going to be finding out who stole Bobby's f***ing heart from me. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Sorry, but a little tense. <laughs> <coughs> well, thank you guys for listening to this awesome... Uh, a little Skypey episode. Yeah, fun. I can't wait. Man, we're just, I think we're doing more and more of these Skype episodes because like the, the guests that we keep having on lately have been really They're just so freaking cool. cool. They like, have to like be all over the world and stuff. Oh my gosh. In fact, teaser, the last episode of this season is with, that we did it over Skype. You got, to, you had to miss out on this yeah, one. Yeah, I did. But we talked to Ryan Connolly from I Film know. Riot. Holy balls. Oh my God. So, if you like what you hear and you'd like to be a part of it, check us out at patreon.com slash okishowshow. Visit us online at okishowshow.com or at our social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at okishowshow. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, you guys go listen to some true crime. Yeah, and then talk, tell us about it. And if there's Oklahoma stuff, like, dude, share we get it with in us. deep with it. So Please share it, share share it, it with, with us. us. Oh, right. man. If you have some true crime stories share them with let us. us let us know maybe yeah. we'll improvise our next scene based off your true crime stories Ooh, i like that yeah i would Ooh, love I to like do some montage lot. scenes based off true crime dude local true crime would... okay we'll see you guys in the next two weeks Yay. bye, bye. <laughs>